Hello, welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey, I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decisions to tune in and invest in yourself today. We help you, as business creators, win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Check out our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we have a wide range of episodes, both previous and upcoming, covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you, and subscribe to us on your favorite syndication network. We're on a lot of them. Today, I'm fired up. I'm passionate. I am driven. Because today, we're going to discover what it means to be driven by a purpose beyond profit. And this is one of those things that grinds my gears and burns my oatmeal when I hear it come up because I see that there is so much emphasis put on things like, oh, you've got to add zero to that. Or just head active. Really? I have seen people burn themselves to the ground taking that kind of advice because there was no purpose driving that. I'm not saying the 10 acting is bad. I'm not saying adding a zero is bad. I'm not saying being a billionaire is bad. In fact, those are all good things. But what is the purpose? What's driving it? That's what we're going to uncover today. And to help us with that, we have Chris Yoko. As CEO of Yoko Co., Chris is focused on helping people in the organizations they belong to pave the road to a more utopian world. He empowers heroic organizations to build and champion themselves, excuse me, champion themselves using their most powerful assets, their web presence. Chris is an expert in web design and accessibility, digital marketing, company culture, and social responsibility. His goal for himself and OCAs is to ultimately be driven by a purpose beyond profit. I've got a few stories for this conversation, and I'm going to leave them in if they fit. So stand by for that because I know that Chris has a lot to share with us. And right now, let's get him in here. Chris Yoko, come on in. The weather's fine. How's it going, Adam? All right. Before we dive in, here's what we like to do here on Business Creators Radio Show. I imagine by now we have some of our listeners leaning in. They've got a separate browser tab open. They're looking up this Chris Yoko and yokoco.com, and they're trying to discover more about you. So I read off your bio, a little bit about what you're doing right now, and what we'd like to do is get a little bit into the person behind the message. So tell us a little bit about your journey and what brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Let me put it another way. What's the purpose that drives you? I'm glad that you ask, uh, since that will be uh, probably a big part of our conversation today. Um, but really what drives me is – helping to create a better world and leaving it a better place than we found it. Uh, I think there's different ways that people tend to do that based on what's really important to them. For me, it primarily uh, looks through the lens of providing people opportunity, uh, providing positive transformation, and sustainability. Okay. So what what got you on that path? Uh, I mean, because there's many ways we can give back, serve the world, uh, up-level the planet while we're on it. But what was, what was the, cap, the catalysis that drove you in that direction? Because anybody can be an entrepreneur and anybody can 
uh, you know, go through and make some money and give their 5% to charity, then it looks like you're taking this to an entirely different level. So what's what driving you there? Yeah, so it's a it's an interesting thing. You know, you get your parents' viewpoints as you grow up and you think about, you know, ideally, I would like to think making the world a better place and what that looks like. And then you start to get caught up in the world of entrepreneurism, and there's a very different scoreboard. You know, people want to know, oh, how much revenue do you do? How much? How many employees do you have? How big are you guys? How quickly are you growing? And that tends to be the scorecard by which we measure ourselves. And I spent, you know, years. I've, uh, you know, had a couple other businesses, uh, some successful, some not so much, um, but all competed based on that scorecard, and it always felt very false to me. You know, I never felt happiness. I never felt satisfaction with the ones that were performing not so well or the ones that performed exceedingly well, um, which I thought, oh, if it's not working well, I'll feel better whenever there's more money involved, more people involved. And what we found, especially uh-huh. as uh, we've grown, the, the current organization I'm with is um, in 2014, uh, late 2014, early 2015, we were working with a lot of organizations. Uh, we primarily do web-based marketing, so a lot of website design, content marketing, video production. Uh, you know, we were working with some organizations we felt really aligned with and felt really positive about the work we were doing, and we were working with some that just, you know, you wake up and you think about, like, am I really going to do this to myself another day? And while some of the latter ones were the ones that might have been paying a little bit better, they were just making us miserable. And so we collectively, as a team... <laughs> Went through uh, went through an exercise I'm where. So oh, go ahead. I am I am feeling this. I, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't help but laugh out loud a little <laughs> bit. The reason being is you are coming so close to something that is at the core of what drives me. Please continue, and then I oh. got to jump in here. But please continue. Finish the story. I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and uh, so. We go through and we realize, okay, these are the organizations we're fed up working with. These are the ones we really, really like working with. And then we did a little bit further analysis and we realized all the ones we really liked working with, imagine this, it's pretty obvious when you look at it, we felt more comfortable doing harder work. We felt more aligned with, we looked forward to meetings with those teams because we felt more delighted and more enjoyful uh, going through that process. And ultimately they had better outcomes. You know, they were generating more leads, more donations, more members, more patients, and we were running more effective campaigns for these folks. And the ones that we didn't feel aligned with, you know, they might have been, you know, again, paying well, but just, you know, kind of curmudgeon uncomfortable people to work with. And we're primarily only, you know, focused on, you know, the dollars, and there wasn't much else to their businesses, despite whatever fields they were in. And so at that point, we decided to cut loose those folks that uh, we didn't feel comfortable and well aligned with in terms of working with. And it was about 25% of our clients at the time, which was pretty frightening. But what we found is we had about 40% more free time afterwards. And we decided from that point on to work exclusively with the organizations we felt really aligned with. And so, of course, we had to define what that alignment looks like, what kind of causes we really wanted to support and how we wanted to contribute to build a better world. And now that's who we work with exclusively. And we found that as a result, uh, we've grown more quickly as a company. We've felt better about the type of impact we've made. We've been able to better measure it. So we've helped other organizations and our clients figure out how they measure their impact or sometimes even define their impact. And it's something where you feel a lot more excited about waking up in the morning. And I know it sounds cliche, but it doesn't feel like, you know, you're going to work on Monday morning. 
Yeah, uh, I have a. And this is this is non-statistical. It's anecdotal, and it's pretty much in the gut. I have a role for whenever an opportunity hits my desk. Is I have to look at it and I have to say, is this something where if we were in the thick of it, I'd be able to wake up without an alarm clock after three hours sleep and dive in? <laughs> if this doesn't have the possibility of passing that test, it's not going to get in. I, I, I just can't help that. I. It's one thing to have your you know your ideal customer avatar and your checklist of what you're looking for in a client, your checklist of what you can do for a client, and your itemized wish list for how you'd like the relationship to go. And you can have some opportunity, very nice person, maybe even a good friend of yours, somebody you admire and respect, come across, they check off all those boxes and dot all those I's and cross all those T's. But you just have that feeling that this just <laughs> isn't what I need to do. And if I have that feeling, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yep. It's not happening. And they can't come to me and say, oh, you know, I really want to work with you, and uh, and uh, whatever your rate is, I'll double it. Like, that doesn't matter. doesn't matter. And <laughs> this is nothing against you. It's nothing against you. It's nothing against your opportunity. It's just that this is not – this is just – not aligning, and my belief is that when you say no, you create somebody else's yes because somebody out there is hoping you say no so they can swoop in and get that yes. So the way I look at it is I'm paying it forward. That's, that's how I look <laughs> at saying no. In fact, I had, an opportunity, I had an opportunity like that. In fact, I've had a few of these, so I'll just pull up one example. It was somebody, uh, you know, a friend of mine. Uh, I knew them through some business events, and they came uh, they came across my chance, and they were actually referred to me by one of my key referral partners, and uh, they wanted to engage me for the stuff that I was doing at the time, which I'm not doing anymore. And um, there was a combination of things. First of all, that was kind of like the beginning of that three-year period I frequently mentioned on the Business Creators Radio Show, where I wasn't sure who I wanted to be when I grew up. I was having the sort of the mind shifts that were triggering that whole thing of, do I really want to be doing this at all? Um, so he showed up right around that time. And plus, you know, um, you know, great guy, great friend. I'd do anything for him, but I wouldn't do that. And that being, take him on as a client. And uh, I actually felt bad. I, you know, on a personal level, I even felt kind of embarrassed uh, towards him and towards the, the mutual friend of ours who referred him to me. But it just wasn't, there, 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 there was just, it just wasn't driving me. I, I was looking at that as I was saying, this just doesn't feel right. And that might yeah. not be the most major statistical spreadsheet-driven, CRM-driven way to do business, but when you are talking about services that involve the direct involvement of human beings, you've got to have that check. Now, if that person came to me, one divided information product, I'd have said, here, here's a direct link. Place you order right now. We'll make sure you get use name and password immediately. I want you to log into this thing in five minutes. That's my thing. Um, right. And that speaks to having a business where you can have a variety of things. You can sell products. You can sell services. You can do one-to-one coaching, one-to-many coaching. Uh, you can do the type of service that is non-specialized, which means you don't have to have an artistic or a highly educated brain to drive it because it's process-driven. Uh, you can right. mix and match these things, and you can place different clients and different places as you diversify. So you have a lot of ways to deal with this, but this is why I have you here today. This is why I had to have this conversation with you. Uh, 
And speaking of, and this will be my last one because I know you have a lot to share here, and I share this in my book, Groundhog Days and Event Not a Business Strategy. I have one of those super leveraged uh, businesses with all kinds of virtual assistants and project managers and outsourcing teams and everything else, and lots and lots <laughs> of clients and, and trying to photocopy Adam and all that. And I got the, you know, you know, I mean, you've relayed in your story, you know, what it's like to have one client from hell. Imagine having three at the same time, and they're not just clients from hell. I mean, these are like, these are like literally like clones of Satan. Um, <laughs> I'm not getting into the details of which is which, but let's just let's just say that the themes of my days at that point were getting to where I, and when I look back and then analyze this afterward, I realized because I didn't even see at the time, that I kept putting off my great clients and apologizing for delays to great clients so I could cater to these three monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, it, seemed like, it seemed like every day one of them was sticking their fingers into something that we had created. Like they would log into their website and screw something up, or they would change yep. copy and it, would, and it would totally derail the entire campaign. Or they would go out on social media or send an email blast on their own that would, uh, that would totally – just counteract everything that we have built up for the work that we we're doing. It's like it's, it's, it's like it's like it's like if you're a coach of of one team and you're and you're making calls for the other. I mean, that's basically what it came down to. Uh, so we were doing all the same we were doing all the same stuff that worked perfectly with all of our other great clients. But these three, nothing we ever did was either good enough for them. So then they would go meddle with it, and then it would all go wrong. And then we would hear from them. You know, you keep saying all this stuff where it's so great for your clients. Well, how come it's always fucked up for me? I, I used to hear that <laughs> word directed at me every day. And I'd say, well, you know, maybe it's because they let us do our job and you got to stick your fingers in. Well, oh, right. boy. So, so there were a couple of breaking points. Um, it had gotten to the point where I had a secret email address to communicate just with my team members so that I could have my back and forth with them before I dove into the, the email address that my clients had. Because I already knew that there were going to be a, at least a few ticking time bombs and demands that right. I literally drop everything and cater to some problem that they caught. And it actually got oh, to yeah. the point where those communications with my team members were, and this actually happened once. Uh, my, one of my team members, uh, I think her name was, um, I think her name was uh, Gina, I believe. Uh, she said, Oh, by the way, um, I thought you should know in your email um, you have uh, you have uh, you have Frederick. We'll just call the client Frederick. That wasn't actually his name. And uh, he <laughs> says that about a week ago. He says that about a week ago you were asking him some question about how you wanted his uh, how you wanted his banner on his website to be. And he, uh, he I just thought I'd let you know he's he, he's 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 thought about it. He's decided he's really offended that you had the nerve to question him. Like what? Oh, I got to worry about the damn button. So get back <laughs> to the point. So skip to this one morning, and I'm sharing this because I know you're going to be able to take off on this, and everything that we have to share today is going to flow from this. I can feel it. Got to one morning where yeah. I was so run ragged by all this stuff, I had forgotten to go. I forgotten to go to the grocery store, and I didn't even have time to make a quick run in the morning, so I ate toothpaste. Just to accomplish the <laughs> biological function of just to accomplish the biological function of breakfast, because you know, because you know, breakfast literally means break fast. 
you can actually exactly. accomplish that process with very little food. That's why some people, um, their breakfast is one cookie. It's because really what's most important to that is you simply break the fast and you get your body's processes going again. So yep. um, a finger full of toothpaste is my breakfast that morning. <laughs> I finally get to a point where things quiet down for a minute. Here comes my accountant on my email. My accountant's a great guy. He's had the same accountant for 16 years. Um, the only the only way he's ever talking my accountant is when he retires. And I hope he never does. I hope he lives to be 180. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, he, needed, he needed me to sign a routine form for the IRS. And believe me, uh, when you are an entrepreneur, signing routine things for the IRS is very normal. Oh. So I was like, okay, yep. all right, I can do this. This will be a nice break. Print out the document. Halfway through printing it, the printer tells me it ran out of bank. And I'm thinking, <laughs> bastard. You already knew you were low on ink. You, just, you knew this was a one-page black-and-white document. It was a typical IRS form. All I had to do was print this thing out and sign it. You couldn't have alerted me that you weren't going to have enough ink to finish this, this one-page job, and you cost me a piece of paper that I don't even have time to go buy another one because I'm eating toothpaste for breakfast. <laughs> two years later, two years later, when I moved out of that apartment because I was upscaling to a nicer apartment, I was still finding pieces of that printer. And I looked down <laughs> on the floor, and I saw the remains of my printer that had the temerity to run out of ink on me. After everything else, this is the last straw. Because oftentimes, the last straw is a pin drop. Yep. I, I realized that I had two things going for me as an entrepreneur, as somebody who understood purpose, purpose driving profits, that, hey, you know what, man? This really, really sucks. I... I, I acknowledge that me failing to draw boundaries, me failing to defend my interests, me allowing referral partners to actually dictate to me who my clients were going to be and forcing these people on me that I knew that, that if I ever saw them in the room, I wouldn't even want to shake their hand, but yet they forced them on me. Um, I allowed them to manipulate me into taking every member of their mastermind just because some members were in the mastermind. Um, I allowed them to beat me up demanding referral commissions. I allowed the clients to walk all over me. I allowed them to flout agreements. I allowed them to demand that I do stuff just for free out of the goodness of my heart. I allowed them to feel it was okay to ring my phone off the hook at 1.30 in the morning. I did all that. I let it happen. That's the first part. But the other part is I recognize because I was the captain of my ship and I am the captain of my ship, I have the ability to draw a solid line right, right there and say up until now it's been the case that I've allowed this whole situation to trample me. But now I claim my decision, my resolve, and my new way of moving forward so that I can put purpose behind profits and have the lifestyle and the business that I desire and deserve and work with the people with whom I can create great things together. Absolutely. Uh, within within yeah, 30 days, all three of those clients, within all three, 30 days, all three of those clients were gone. Uh, and it's <laughs> nice. You didn't hesitate. And uh, yeah, it's uh, no, not at all. And uh, I know we're, we're almost 20 minutes into this, so I am done. And I just wanted to share that because you know, you know, when you came to us and you have to be on Business Creators Radio Show, and I saw your topic, um, I actually was a little bit moved by what you shared with us. You wanted to, to speak about this whole thing about driven by a purpose beyond profit, and I know that's a catchphrase that's thrown around a lot, but that's something that, I, I, candidly, I get emotional about. Um, 
Yeah. Likewise. And it's one of the things that it's one of the things that propelled me to write my book, Groundhog Days and the Vet Not a Business Strategy, because I see so many companies that get tripped up by these little things that are burrowed beneath the surface that just never seem to get solved. And a lot of times the reason the groundhogs are able to dig so deep is because there's no purpose driving things. Um they're yeah. They build it. And hire a team, everything else. And that yeah, means and because I've seen so many I've seen so many people suffer. I've had so many people message me saying, Hey Adam, uh, I saw that post you put on Facebook this morning about your book. Uh, you got ten minutes for me? And because they were a friend that say, Yeah, uh, call my toll free number, I got ten minutes for you real quick, but I got an interview on business creators radio shows, but to the point. And they get on the line and they would start crying their eyes out. <laughs> Because no, they I mean, found themselves in a situation that you help people with. So, so what I'd like yeah, to do now with the rest of our time is like you to help us through it. So, you know, we talk about impact first off. How do you calculate the impact you make? Well, yeah, and just as we we jump into that, I mean, that's one of those big things where everything stems from, you know, the scorecard you hold yourself to. So, I mean, as you know, we're all still primates we're still wired to compete and so we naturally look at okay what scoreboard am i you know being judged on and what is quote unquote success look like and then i'm going to compete that way and so if a lot of people you know the reason you hear oh we're going to 10x it we're going to add a zero exponential growth hockey stick is because that's the scorecard everyone feels like they're competing on and so while it might feel hollow for a lot of people or you know for some people they really dig it and there's nothing wrong with that either but the reason I think that that allows certain people to get caught up in just, you know, hey, I'm going to take on any client because it helps me move that, you know, revenue, that profit, that whatever number forward is because they haven't set any rules for themselves in terms of the actual purpose and impact their business makes. So they do anything in pursuit of that goal that is most likely someone else's dream, which is why it feels really unfulfilling. And even if it doesn't feel unfulfilling, it has dramatic long-term impact on the health of the business, the psychological health of the people that are running it, that are working there. And a lot of that comes into play in a big, bad way. And I mean, Adam, I'd applaud you because you actually made a choice based on the pain point. Whereas how many people, you know, do you know in your entrepreneurial circles, same as mine, that complain about these types of clients day after day, month after month, year after year, but they don't do anything about it. You know, they swap one out for another and then they complain about the next client they've got in because they're also not a good fit because they've done nothing to change the scoreboard they're going after. So they just keep chasing somebody else's dream. So they keep taking bad client after bad client and allowing other people to dictate the terms by which they live their life. Yeah, very true. And very true. And, um, and you know, well, and so, I, mean, I even, think a lot of this, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize more time. Oh, no, not all. I was just going to say a lot of that you'd asked about, you know, impact, and a lot of that comes back to that scorecard. So, I mean, whenever we think about the type of impact we want to have in the world, we think about, you know, the fact that we're primarily an agency, and so we get to help people, help people, you know, kind of a ripple effect, and we wanted to focus on clients that work with either, you know, opportunity for others, you know, healthcare, education, transformative technology, primarily in like the startup space, healthcare, associations and a number of nonprofits, especially those focused on kind of inequality and kindness to others, as well as sustainability. And for each organization, they're going to track the type of impact they make differently. And some of our clients know right off the bat, oh, we are, you know, a healthcare organization. We count the impact we make by the number of lives we touch and positively change. 
Others might transform by, hey, we're a conservation society and by the number of trees we plant or by the number of acres of forest or, you know, coral reefs that we protect, that's how we track success. Whatever the case might be, we aim to use those as the key indicator of how the business is performing and making an impact beyond the revenue and profit. Like we understand and anyone who's in marketing has to be able to perform at that level. It's a perfunctory element of keeping any organization afloat. So you've got to have your profit. You've got to have your revenue. Um, but then you work backwards from there to understand, okay, here's the type of impact it makes. Here's the type of revenue and profitability we need to support that kind of impact and to grow. And then working from there, here's what that funnel needs to look like in order for us to get to that level of impact that we're going after. And I find if people are aligned over an impact that is greater than just, you know, okay, revenue or profit, they're one, far more likely to work hard to get where they need to go because they're making a real positive change. But it also, to the point of your story, comes back around in such a way that you don't put as many hurdles in front of yourself. There are so many dramatic long-term costs that come from having the wrong type of client that people tend not to think about. And so they become you know, these places where bad client come in and then bad client goes out and bad client comes in or bad customer, whatever the case might be. And it works whether you're a product company, a restaurant, a service company, a gym, whatever the case might be, your best customers are the ones that are going to be well aligned with you. It's going to be a little polarizing. You're going to have a crowd that you attract and a crowd that you repel. But if you're working with people that are really well aligned with you, like you said, it's not going to be that case of the squeaky wheel gets all the attention. So now you're telling your best clients and the ones that are most understanding and the ones you like working with most to just, oh, hold on, I've got to deal with this grump over here. And you're spending most of your time dealing with the grumpy people instead of the fun people. You're also going to find that those people that are grumpy and those squeaky wheels, they're, they're going to be the ones that leave a negative review of your book. They're going to be the ones that leave a negative review of your restaurant. They're going to be the ones that complain and want something for free. Whereas if you repel those people away and you attract the people that are really a good fit for you, they're the ones that are going to find other like-minded people. They're going to be able to provide you with, you know, the five-star reviews, with the referrals to other people that are like them. And you can really build a business and continue to have greater growth by turning away, like you said, having that rule where uh, a friend of mine has a rule where if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. So super similar to Google, Adam. And yeah. By having that rule in place, you just make sure that you're working with the type of people that get you, that you get, and that has that, then that compounding or exponential effect on being able to grow the business. But it's not that, oh, we take on every single client we can as quickly as we can. It's the slower, steadier way to grow. And ultimately, I think it serves like compounding interest where you can grow more quickly in the long term. But a lot of people see that, you know, first initial spike on the revenue chart and they think they can keep up with it. And then with that turnover and, you know, clients coming and going or negative reviews or, you know, situations where you've got to kind of constantly be making good and catching up, that number spikes up and down and it never grows, but you're spending as much, if not more time on stuff you hate doing, whereas you could have been, you know, growing more organically and working with people you liked working with all the time. Yeah. Um, I call this a mistake, actually. Uh, I see people do this where um, they'll make an, a business alliance with somebody, and uh, the next thing you know, that person they made an alliance with, they have a mastermind, and they're referring every single person in their mastermind uh, for that person's human rendered services. Now, mm-hmm. you put 18 people in a mastermind, I guarantee you don't have 18 ideal fits. It just doesn't exist. <laughs> there are not 18 people that close alike that they are just going to all magically resonate with you. So you're going to have 
some clients from that mastermind that you know, you're going to love working with. They're going to be great clients. You're going to have some that even if you see their shadow begin to darken their doorstep, you say, oh, God, no. Because you've <laughs> seen it before, and you already know this is a cloud coming, hovering over your business. You don't even want to have a conversation. You don't even want to have this conversation because you, you, you know how this story ends. And then there are right. going to be some cases where, and this happens to good people, sometimes they do all the right things, and uh, they're actually working with somebody, a client who is a good person, but for some reason, all the stuff that they do just isn't working for that client. Now, most often, if everybody in the deal is behaving with integrity and respect for each other, that usually means that the relationship itself is just not ideal, and they should probably part their separate ways and transition the work to another provider. That happens. I've had people who um, have left other providers for me, nothing personal. They just realized they need a different type of company to work with, and we welcome that. And I've had people leave me saying, hey, you know, you're great, but uh, I'm actually looking for a little bit of a different type of service, so I'm going to work with these people instead and just want to let you know here are the reasons why. And I said, good, congratulations, and keep in touch. And if anything changes, let me know if, if I have that. So now what happens, unfortunately, when you – Sometimes when you get so close to getting referrals from an entire mastermind, it's the people who get left out or the people whose stuff isn't going so well will come to the mastermind means to complain about you. Or uh, mm-hmm. the person you reject then says, hey, I thought you said this is your guy, and he won't work with me. And every time somebody mentions your name in that mastermind meeting, they'll be, <clears throat> and, they'll, and they'll talk crap, crap <laughs> on you. Now, I had one of these mastermind leaders come to me once, and, and the guy is a great friend of mine to this day. Good friend of mine, um, and you know I, I continue to endorse some of his products, and uh, and uh, I believe uh, he's aware of some of the things I'm doing, and I think he made a positive reference to it a couple weeks ago, from what I heard, and um, and he made the comment, you know, in our meeting, a lot of you know we spend a lot of time talking about you, Adam, and I said I feel really sorry for your mastermind because if the purpose of your mastermind <laughs> is to talk about me. What you really need to be doing is financing my documentary. That will do us a lot more good. <laughs> and uh, and that was kind of, that was kind of a catalytic moment where I recognized that yeah, if you want to have key referrers who will send you the best people in their mastermind, the best people in their coaching program, the best the best people from their audiences, whatever, you just have an understanding with them that yeah, they may be your people, and I'm going to treat them with all the respect and all the due diligence. And all the fairness, I'll treat anybody who just walked up random off my transom. But because I have a business to run here, and I'm dedicated to doing great things with great people uh, who I love and love doing things with, that everybody's going to go through the same process. And any decisions I make about whether I decide to work with somebody, I will be grateful for the referral. But just to be clear, I am not bound to accept your referral. I will be grateful, but I am not bound to accept it. And if they're willing willing to work on that basis, then, hey, we can have a good relationship going. But otherwise, what you're going to have, and especially if you're paying referral fees or commissions or kickbacks or whatever you want to call it, is once they see dollar signs, they'll start throwing everybody at you. I mean, I had a case where I was getting, I was, uh, you know, back when I used to pay referrals for services, um, I I would have people who would keep getting referred to me over and over and over again somebody who I had already rejected, somebody who um, I oh, had, quote-unquote, somebody who I had, to be polite, quote-unquote, forgotten to get that proposal to 
and, oh, shucks, there must be something wrong with the email, air quotes, until they put the hit. But they kept coming back thinking that I actually wanted to work with them. And that's because this person kept aligning with other people who stood to make money if I worked with them as a client. So I made a deal with my best referrers. I said, look, um, you know what? I don't want to pay commissions anymore. And actually this conversation came up because I had um, a relationship with somebody, and he had an affiliate program, and I was a member of it, and I kept referring people to him. And every single time I referred somebody to referred somebody to him, he would come up with some excuse about how he didn't owe me the commission because he knew that person from eight years ago or they had oh, dinner together at some conference or it was his half-brother's third, second cousin three times removed or whatever. And I said, look, you really <laughs> don't want to pay me commissions, do you? You don't want to pay me commissions. And he said, candidly, you don't want to pay commissions. And he said, well, no. I said, well, you know what? I don't want to pay you commissions either. So how about if we disagree that we're going to be allies in the, in, in the, in the market space, that we're going to respect each other's play, we're going to promote each other, we're going to celebrate each other, and we're going to help each other by exchanging quality referrals. And when we get those referrals from each other, we're going to do damn good work for them. And we'll, help, and we'll both make a lot of money together, but we don't owe each other any money anymore. And that has been consistently my best referral partner. And the alignment between purpose and profit has been so strong with that one. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Yeah. And, I mean, so, so much of that comes. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Okay. So, so basically, I wanted, you know, with all that, I wanted to go into the culture of, of an organization. So, you know, we speak about having cultures of performance and retention. This is another one of my things. And I have stories, you know what, I'm not going to tell them because I've already spoken too much. Um, <laughs> okay. I know myself that pretty much every job I've ever left, it's even when I jumped out of, on, uh, out of the corporate world to go full bore entrepreneurship, I pretty much felt like I was driven away. I mean, I felt like the company moved on without me or whatever. And I felt that um, they had failed to retain me. And I could say they had mm -hmm. their chance and they blew it. And why do you think that companies have issues with retention? And how does this tie to this thing between purpose and profit? I think it's, it comes down to that alignment again. So we have a, a lot of, you know, people that we've spoken with in our circles that ask similar questions around, well, what kind of retention do you guys have? And a lot of organizations I've heard have had a lot of trouble, especially, you know, people complaining about, oh, well, millennials, they don't stay anywhere for more than a year or two. And, you know, I'll knock on wood as I say this, but we've yet to have anyone voluntarily leave the organization. Um, we've only had, you know, people that maybe we've had to part ways with over performance issues. Right. And I think a lot of that stems from being able to provide people. I, I think there's a lot of things that come into a culture, but I think it starts with that alignment around purpose. If you feel good about the work that you're doing, and then you have all the other elements, you, you, you know, you have good compensation. Um, we provide, you know, we do a profit sharing plan. So people get a piece of it. So they understand that as they work hard and as we grow as a team and succeed, there's opportunities for them there. We provide a lot of, you know, there's no handholding. There's not a lot of micromanagement. Uh, we all understand what the scoreboard looks like and how we participate yep. in moving forward as a team. And so there's a lot of autonomy. Uh, we use autonomy, mastery, and purpose as kind of the three key tenets of how we work together. And those always sound like great things that people would always want until you talk about what the alternatives are. And there are some people that 
you know, autonomy means you don't have somebody looking over your shoulder, which is cool unless you're just somebody that wants to basically work on an assembly line or do your part and then pass it along, then that doesn't work so well. So, you know, each of those components has, you know, kind of its its counterpart that is very appealing for some and not so appealing for others. And so if you have that yeah. level of alignment with your team and your clients, you now have this full on understanding of, okay, here's the end purpose we're all trying to achieve. Here's how that overlaps with what we do with clients. And here's how that as a team, we each individually overlap with the, the world that we want to be able to build. And here's how we do that together. I've found that works really well. Um, again, you've got to be good about soliciting feedback and having conversations and that business has to change and grow as, you know, your team grows and it reflects, you know, the team itself. Um, but I've found a lot of that initial part is by just trying to put people into, okay, you're here to do X, Y, and Z. And if that's all you want from somebody, that's fine. But that means those people are going to look for an alternative to work somewhere where they feel more philosophically inclined or they feel more in alignment with the work they're doing. Or if they're doing something that they don't feel a whole lot of attachment with, which is okay too. Some people follow those pursuits outside of their work hours, but then that means work is a way to fund those things, which means, you know, you're just constantly going to be kind of having people come in and out based on, oh, like I can make an extra couple bucks here. I can make an extra couple bucks there. My commute's a little shorter there. That stuff's always going to be changing. And if there's no real reason for people to stay and they don't feel like they're truly a part of a team, I, you know, certainly don't blame those people for leaving. And I, like you said, I, I think it's a failure of a lot of companies to adopt to the things people really want as we as a population climb a little bit higher on, you know, Maslow's hierarchy. A lot of people want to have jobs that are a bit yeah. closer to that self-actualization and being able to understand and contribute to their purpose as a team and individually. Yeah, Chris, the gold watch is gone. There are no more gold watches. And anybody, <laughs> in my opinion, who has um, an idea of going far in their career, basically they are free agents. I mean, they settle down with one employer for a few years. They draw a paycheck. They make their employment at that company the number one headline of their LinkedIn profile. But within a few years, they're probably moving on. Now, if you can keep somebody longer than that, that's fantastic. And this is where if you really have the feel there's a purpose there, uh, you can perhaps get them to stay longer. But the days where a company, like any company, and I work for a company like this one, that if they found out that you were interviewing with another company while you work for them, and they would actually go so far as to intrude into your personal life, uh, calling at random times a day with stupid questions just to make sure you weren't in an interview somewhere. Jeez. Um, and if they found out about this, they would terminate you immediately. If that is your approach to that is your approach to dealing with the fact that your people might want to move on, then you don't deserve to have those good people working for you, and they should accept the the, the next offer they get and leave you without two weeks' notice. That's how I look at it, because that's about that's about how much you've earned their drive and their purpose in my personal opinion. And I'm not going to be driven by uh, a company that spies on me. I'll be driven out. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. about it. So, so, other, so other than, uh, yeah, so, so along with fostering a role of retention and creating these outlines and these, you know, some people call them mission statements, business statements, value statements. Uh, they put like, they come up with an acronym that you know, this is the core of what that company believes in, what it does. They define jobs and roles and responsibilities. What uh, you know? What else 
do companies do? Uh, what role do they play within uh, a cause? Uh, so, you know, a cause to drive people. Yeah, so I think, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of organizations, they go through the exercise of, you know, mission, vision, values, and they post them all up, and then they kind of forget that they existed, unless they're using them for some kind of recruitment thing. And one of the things I hate about them most is they tend to sound like they could apply to any company. You know, we went through an exercise not too long ago where we were reestablishing, you know, kind of our core values and just how we articulate those things that we really value collectively and individually. And I think whenever you're putting those components together, there's an opportunity to, <clears throat> again, if you don't really care, you can pay lip service, you can use whatever words you want. But if you're really going yeah. about it, thinking about what truly makes us different, how do we articulate that, how do we attract those people, and how do we begin to build that kind of philosophical following of, again, it's going to be a magnet. You're going to attract the people that are really like you and that really are attracted by those things, but it's going to repel people just as strongly. So it's not one of those things where, hey, we're going to take on everybody. But uh, I found, um, if you're familiar with the book Traction by Gina Wickman, I think their philosophy on creating and articulating core values is a good starting place where you look for those things that you can extrapolate from your best team members. And then if you could, you know, replicate those couple people, what traits of those people that they have would allow you to dominate your market and then be able to really understand, okay, these are the things that we, you know, choose from. And we found as we went through that, a lot of it comes from a combination of that. Uh, one of our team members, Ray, uh, the way he phrases it is a pathological need to help, like just an altruistic sense of wanting to help people, even to the point where it's in your short-term uh, worst interest, but it's in the long-term better interest of the client. You know, that's something they're more than happy to do, and we found that's a big part of what we do in our team. And then a lot of, you know, that natural curiosity, so wanting to be able to continue to learn, to understand how you fit into you know, this big complex world and how do you make a positive impact in it is a, is a huge differentiator. Yeah, I think, you know, people just want to feel appreciated. I've heard stories of people who are being, you know, given advice. Hey, man, you got a 10X. What you got to do is you got to triple your rate and you got to hire people, <laughs> you know, everybody other than your top five clients. And, you know, for some folks, like I have a private consulting business where we do some marketing work and I, and I keep that limited to five clients only. And those five slots are usually filled because four of them are lifers, and one turns over usually every two to three years. And I keep hearing, oh, man, you got to grow that. you got to get some web designers. you got to get some social media people. you got to build a digital marketing agency. I said, no, I don't. No, I don't. I only work with these clients because they excite me so much that I can wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning after three hours sleep and go 12 hours working with them because I'm so passionate about my relationship with them and what we create with them that brings brilliance and passion to the world. I don't need to hire a team around them, and, I, and I'm not interested in growing them. So I made the decision earlier this year that I understand that is not a sustainable business model. It basically means I'm the business. I get that. That doesn't mean I have <laughs> to take something that I actually love and bastardize it to fit somebody else's idea of a vision. So uh, what we're doing here at the Business Creators Institute is we're in the process of developing a series of lines of businesses that are based on one-to-many and are, and are scalable, outsourceable, 
and ultimately saleable. Those are the three. Those are the three characteristics we look for in anything we're starting. We uh, we have a podcast booking agency. Um, we're looking. Uh, it's called In Demand Expert. We have some great clients there and some great hosts there. Uh, we are getting ready to do another thing. I cannot say what it is right now, but it's another type of service where it does not require somebody with a highly specialized degree or any sort of artistic sensibility because they will be because their role will be to manage a process from a QA perspective. So again, that's something that is relatively easy to insert into the organization, and if it goes away, it's relatively easy to not find another puzzle piece that'll fit. It also requires right. us to understand the people with a certain purpose will work well for that. I'm not going to, you know, for the podcast booking agency, uh, we're looking by the end of the year to have five people working with us, and uh, we um, know, we have an avatar of who we think is going to have the right type of drive to be very effective in that role. Uh, the combination of attention to detail the comp the comp and love of process for its own sake and how their entire lifestyle supports them being involved with us and vice versa. Well, I'm not going to get into yeah. the details of what that is because I don't want people who may want to work with us to feel that they either qualify or don't qualify to be one of our contractors or team members because we don't have right. those decisions final, but I have a pretty good vision. In fact, I can see them right now. I can see what the room that they're going to be sitting in when they work with us looks like. I can even see what they're wearing, and I can see what type of, what type of machine they're doing their work from. That's how much I have the vision down. Uh, That's awesome. What we feel will be a great match for in-demand expert. And it's because I looked at what drives people, what is their purpose. And how would their driving or purpose be served by being a booking agent for a podcast booking agency? This is something I know a thing or two about because I was involved in the launch of one of the first podcast booking agencies in the modern era, and I've been placing my private clients for years. It's only in 2019 that we are taking out to the general public. I know a lot about this, and I know, and I've awesome. seen so many podcast bookers come and go, and I know who and I know who thrives and I know who dies. <laughs> So we got profits. We got positive impact. Chris, how do we support one another? Uh, do you mean uh, in terms of just the way the kind of positively oriented business ecosystem can kind of align? Yeah, let's start there. Sure. So, I mean, I think the first part is collectively, if we can start changing the scorecard, I think that's what's going to have the most dramatic impact in the world uh, cumulatively. A lot of people, like I said, they don't know what – to chase, they have that scorecard where, oh, growth, revenue, these are the things that are important because that's the scorecard we use elsewhere. Uh, but if we can start to have that conversation, I think it started with those that are, you know, talking about kind of that triple bottom line or quadruple bottom line and that kind of mentality, but really be very intentional about a scorecard that is more aligned with what we individually want to see represented in the world beyond just those, you know, revenue numbers. That's where it really starts. So if we can start to have the conversation in terms of like, oh, do you know like they help this many people or do you know they do X, Y, and Z? And that's the conversation we have instead of like, oh, do you know they did 10 million last year? Or, oh, do you know they were at 15? I think that that's really a good conversational place to start because as soon as we can rewire those gears uh, internally in terms of how we all, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have some level of you know competitive spirit, if we start to compete on like, oh, who's made the greatest positive impact in the world or who's helped the world the most, 
that's a really powerful place to have competition. Competition naturally breeds excellence. That's why we use markets. That's why we're attracted to entrepreneurism in the first place. And so if we can harness that power for things more than just the uh, the market for the market's sake, I think that's a really powerful position. Yeah, I, I think so too. And you know what I found is um, the less it feels like work, the more money I make at it. It's kind of weird. Uh, yeah, people think it's – Oh, I was going to say, people think that's like a thing people just say until you do it, and then you begin to realize, oh, there's a lot of, you know, reality into that statement, but you've got to, you've got to kind of make the jump. Yeah. Uh, I go back and forth with this with one of my coaches, uh, and, you know, the thing about having a good business coach, a great business coach, is you don't follow their lead blindly, that you, um, that, you know, while you do follow their guidance, that if they say something to you that strongly resonates against you, you push back on that. And then it's the coach's responsibility to push back on you to defend your position to help you further identify your purpose so that you are clear on why this doesn't match and to drive you in another direction. So one of the advice, and I've seen several coaches give this same advice, nothing revolutionary, but it's the idea that if you're looking to raise money quickly because you need to pay a bill, that, hey, if there's something you're good at, even though you really don't like it, you might not even want to work with a client, just take the money, and while you're slaving through it, just vision yourself paying off those credit cards or buying those Facebook ads for that new venture or whatever it is you need the money for. You know, and the real world doesn't work that way. While you're slaving through that thing you took on and you hate just for the money, you're thinking, why don't I jump off a ledge? That feels pretty good right now. (laughs) Because you're, you're going to be so distracted and so distressed by it, you're not even going to be able to picture the results. I've been down this road. So my, so my theme on that is very simple. It's like, look, if I'm going to go pull something in to raise cash because I need the money, which is a common entrepreneurial thing, and not always nothing yeah. to be ashamed of, that we should look at as a launch path for success, then why would I go backwards and do something I hate? because somehow this is going to move me forward towards what I want to really want to be doing. What if I were to put that same hustle, those same conversations I'm about to have to try and ruffle up a couple projects into getting projects and clients doing that thing I want to do? I'm going to spend the energy anyway. So why not spend that same energy bringing in that money that I need for that cash infusion knowing that it's going to be something I'm going to enjoy. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, as I said true. to people all the time, as I said to people all the time, I I used to live in a hard water zone back when I lived in Pennsylvania, which means I had to decalcify my toilet every couple months. Look that up. Look that up. I don't want to explain what that means. But it has to do with the, <laughs> it has to do with calcium build up in the uh, in the stream when you flush it, and then it doesn't go all the way down. Um, and uh, I know how to do it. I know how to run the CLR through it without burning up the rubber and, and how to make it uh, flush so effectively that it's like you just had it installed and uh, you had it installed the day before yesterday. Yeah, I know how to do that. That doesn't mean I want to be paid to do it for anybody else. It doesn't mean I want to do it for anybody else for free. Right. It, it, yeah. To me, I actually thought it was fun to decalcify it because it took me back to when I was a kid and I used to like to play with piping and electric wiring because I had a fascination with how, you know, systems work. So I'm thinking about, okay, how do I make the water flow more efficiently to the toilet so it flushes better? So it brought that up to me. So, yeah, there's a childlike state of fun in decalcifying the toilet. I don't want to do it for you. 
I don't want to do it for anybody else and get paid for it. So I'm not going to go out saying, hey, man, I want to watch a business doing podcast booking, and I need money to buy ads to promote it. So, hey, uh, I'm available to decalcify 10 toilets. Who's dead? Are you kidding me? Right. And, and, and I use decalcify toilets for a reason, because when you do stuff you really hate, isn't that kind of where you're headed? Absolutely. And being able to get, like yeah. you said, just get into that headspace of doing the thing you enjoy and knowing that you're putting the hustle into doing more of that thing, that's going to be the thing that lifts you up. Suddenly, you know, what maybe you could barely stand doing for four to six hours a day or eight hours a day, depending on the gig, is something you can, you know, gladly put 12, 16, you know, 18 hours into if it's something that really energizes you. Correct. Correct. I think we're I think we're on the same think we're on the same page here. So uh, again, I'm really enjoying this topic. I know we have um know we have a few minutes left, and uh, you know there's one more question I want to ask. This wasn't in the uh, in the original uh, green print, but um, you know when it comes to purpose and everything else, I'm going to ask a very vague question. I'm going to see what meaning you assign to. Would you be willing to play with me for one question? Sounds good. Yeah, Chris. Uh, is it okay to just quit? Uh, I mean, I think so. There's, again, like you're letting me assign the purpose to it. So I think if you're working on something that the way I interpret, you know, quitting is not necessarily giving up on something, but if you find it no longer suits you or it's not something you're passionate about, like why would you force yourself to go through it? Um, I think that there's only one life you get to lead, so you should be doing it on something you should be spending that time on something you are ideally passionate about um, there are some people that yeah i think we all know them that you know they're, they're passionate about changes week to week and so they're thing you know they're jumping constantly from thing to thing at some point you got to put in the hustle and commit but i don't think that means you stick with a losing idea whenever you realize it's not working out for you and a losing idea can be one that's just not performing or it can be something you know you're not passionate about it's like a friend of mine used to always feel like once he opened the cover of a book, he had to read all of it. And it wasn't until he was in a meeting or something and somebody gave, basically gave him verbal permission that there are so many books out there. You will never read even a small fraction of them. Why are you wasting your time, you know, reading a book that you're not even enjoying? Quit that book. It doesn't mean you're quitting and giving up. It means you're starting something that you really want to pursue. It's starting something that you really want to be interested in. And that's the same way I look yep. at quitting. I, yeah, exactly. Uh, I've told the story many times. It's featured in Journeys to Success Millennial Edition of uh, time in April 2000 when I quit a job without having another job lined up because that job was just so awful. Well, a few weeks later, I got hired by one of their competitors. And uh, that job with their competitor lasted just exactly one week, Monday through Friday. And on Friday, my new boss pulled me into her office, and uh, I already saw it coming, but I barely had the door closed. And she said, Adam, this isn't working. And I said, thank you. I said, thank you. Thank you. Uh, right. And at that point, at that point, we were going into May 2000. Um, I had just had a really rough year with that previous crappy job. Um, I was just a year out of college. I'd barely even taken a moment to celebrate. Uh, I, had, I had been, you know, hustled along in school, uh, overdriven, over everything else. And uh, every summer in college, I'd work two jobs, uh, raise money for this, that, and the other thing. And I looked at it and said, you know what? I hear this stuff about how if I have a gap in my employment history, this is somehow going to bite me in the ass later or something. 
Uh, <laughs> the fact is, it's May 2000. I'm already accepted by Duquesne University. I'm going for my MBA in the fall, and uh, there's always going to be jobs. I can always uh, I can get busy anytime I want to right away with a good temp job paying $14 an hour. I can I can make money. But you know what? Between now and say August 20th, screw it. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to work out three hours a day. I'm going to bust out the lawnmower, get a little grass cutting business going, make a little money, get some fresh air. And we'll deal with the employment gap in the fall. <laughs> that is what that to me was one of the wisest decisions that I ever made. And the impact of having those three months in my life just to recalibrate helped yeah. me discover my purpose for the very reason that I removed myself from the maelstrom for the moment so I could look at it objectively from an outside point of view and be able to explore from a place of genuine curiosity what was my purpose and what was my drive. And it really got me moving. And my current trajectory launched from that. I dig that. And that's, I mean, so much of that is, is of everybody's life is predicated on this level of, you know, momentum that we kind of already naturally have. And so we just allow this inertia to kind of roll us. And it's you know, one of the big complaints about, you know, being hyper competitive in the U.S. and not taking time away is you miss that time to, you know, refresh and kind of refocus yourself and really have that time that serves as a catalyst for major change in your life that allows you to make that jump to something you may not have realized was unfulfilling about your current life or jump back into something you are doing, but maybe doing it in a way that's a little bit different that really energizes you. Yeah. Well, Chris, we are unfortunately at the top of the hour, and I'd like to keep going for two more hours. But we have about 90 seconds left. I want to give half of those seconds to you. And uh, just tell our audience, if they want to explore more with you, what do they do? Uh, Yes, so you can find me on the web. Uh, Our company is Yokoco. So that's Y-O-K-O-C-O.com. And then you can find me on the web at ChrisYoko.com or pretty much any of the social media platforms. All right, great. So I encourage everybody to go uh, hook up with Chris Yoko. I know he's uh, he's also on social media. I'll be connecting with him because uh, I think he's a pretty fascinating guy. So Chris Yoko of Yoko CO, I want to thank you so much for being with us today for an inspiring conversation that was both informative, educational, and for the third vote, fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Adam. This was a great chat. You bet. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie with Adam Homie, uh, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.